kind of worked me over. Um, had a direction it was taken, and it, it kind of abruptly, abruptly took a different direction, but I think the Lord was in it, and, um, and we're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, um, but I want to give my introduction here, and then I'm going to read the text, so I want to start out by saying this. The preacher of old, J. Frank Norris, once said, first thoughts and orders are from headquarters. Everything else is simply human reasoning. First thoughts and orders are from headquarters. Everything else is just human reasoning. And I made a short list of things that I think people, normal people, good intending people use when they've got to make a decision. I just wrote a quick list of what we do when we, when we reason within ourselves. Human reasoning, what's it, what's it really look like? I just wrote a couple things down here. Why we reason. Maybe to reach a different outcome. We reason within ourselves maybe to reach a different outcome. And I I think a great example of that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, When he says, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Reasoning with the Father to try to get a different outcome for what was inevitable for his future. Sometimes people reason because they've got good intentions. They truly got a desire to help people. They may reason within themselves to try to make a situation profit in one way or another. Good intentions. But I think sometimes, if we'd be honest with ourselves, we reason simply because we just came up with another dull excuse. Uh, Simply, hey, uh, quick example I could think of is, I think 15 extra minutes of sleep would benefit me more than a couple verses in my Bible. Really, Lord? You guys know what I'm saying. A dull excuse. We reason within ourselves while we're rolling back and forth in bed. Amen. Sometimes we're moved with fear. Sometimes fear causes us to reason within ourselves, and rightly so, it's a natural human instinct. Usually, and specifically, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God here this morning, your first thought is your best thought. It's your best thought. But what happens when pressure gets applied in our lives, and pressure gets applied in a situation, and and we've got to make, maybe you're forced to make a decision in a stressful situation, or we've got to come to a conclusion of a, a... a large event or a large decision that we've got to make in our life that could potentially be life-altering. What happens when the pressure gets applied? And I want to show you here as Balaam has to make some decisions in his life, what happens when the pressure gets applied. And what I can tell you typically in human nature happens is we rely on experience and we rely on training. So that being said, if, I've, if you've ever gotten any sort of advice from me over the years, please forgive me because... I hope I didn't lead you astray, but I still truly feel like I am young in the ministry, so to speak. And I think Pastor Reagan would say the same exact thing if you've counseled with him or been here any length of time. He'd say, I probably was a knucklehead back when I was a young pastor and I've grown quite a bit and I've learned quite a few things and and God's been good. But if he's ever gave you bad advice uh, in that sense, I think you would agree that, hey, this is a growing process, is it not? We have to rely on experience. We have to rely on, rely on training. We have to rely on what we've seen, what we've processed. And I know specifically in my line of work, that's exactly what I do. I rely on my training. And just like any good soldier, just like any good law enforcement officer, any first responder, what they do is they rely on training. So your first couple of years in the industry, you're, you're truly pretty much, you're pretty much there just to, to help carry around a gurney. You're just learning. You're just learning. But one thing I know for sure in the Christian life, 
One thing I know about the Christian life is that it is full of teachable moments, teachable experiences. And what I hope tonight is that I hope you're growing. And you know, one thing I, I don't care for much anymore in, in this life, not in the Christian life, but in this life, and this might go without saying, but I don't really like being pushed around much anymore. When I was a rookie, when I was green, when I was just getting started, say in my professional career or, or anything for that matter, I always thought I had a pretty teachable spirit. And when it comes to the things of God and honestly a lot of things in life that I'm interested in, I think I've got a really truly teachable spirit. And, and, and I just, who here likes getting pushed around? When it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to our Christianity, when it comes to preaching of the words of God, sometimes we just got to get stuck. We got to take what the preacher says. We got to take what the book says. And yeah, feel a little tossed, feel a little tussled and take a little push now and then. Because that's what the ministry, that's what growing, that's where teachable moments come from. It's that sort of push, that sort of prod. But I know sometimes you guys, this is probably the understatement of the year, you might think you have an incompetent boss. Or uh, maybe you just got to truly own up to your own personal mistakes. When we get pushed in that arena, man, I don't, I don't really like it. Right? Like... I've been doing what I've been doing now in, in, my, in my profession for several, quite a few years now, and I'm not, I'm not the rookie anymore, right? Like, actually, they put us, they put me, they put a lot of us in charge of training the rookies, right? A lot of you have been put in that position. And there's nothing worse than the incompetent boss or the boss that doesn't have their faith in you or in my line of work. What it is is just a lot of, just a lot of weight throwing, a lot of shoulder pushing, just a lot of rank, a lot of structure, a lot of... This is how it's going to be because I want it to be this way. A lot of pushing. Gets a little uncomfortable sometimes because sometimes we just want to be left alone to do our jobs. I hope I'm making a little bit of sense here this evening and I hope to tie this thing in here, but maybe God wants something out of you. Maybe he's pushing you, the Lord. Not an incompetent boss. The Lord. Maybe he's pushing you. Maybe he's pushing us. Maybe he's pushing us as a church with this whole addition thing. Maybe he's pushing us as a church with the growth that we've seen here. And it's getting hard to even bump shoulders on. We're constantly bumping shoulders on Sunday morning. That's good problems to have. But the Lord's pushing us. The Lord's pushing me. Honestly, when it comes to the things of the Lord, I, I pray I, I, I stay this teachable spirit. I, I want him to push me. I want God to push me. I hope you do too, because I hope you want to grow. In this passage, we're going to see three different sets of hands pushing. Just pushing. Hands of the world pushing on you. The hands of the flesh or the hands of the mind pushing on you. And last but not least, I want to show you the hands of God, how it comes in and just pushes us. But you know, I know what it's like to be pushed. And I also know what it's like to push myself, whether that's duty, just to take care of my wife, my kids, my home, or maybe that's growth. In my own personal life, I want to see growth. I know what it's like to push myself, and I hope you guys do too. You ever want to see a human being most miserable, find a human being that has no goals in this life. 
that person will be one miserable human being. Christians, we need to be a people willing to push ourselves. You know, sometimes the world puts so much pressure on us. Our spiritual life puts so much pressure on us. We think the church is putting so much spiritual pressure on us. And, and, and we're trying to get things right. And we're just not amounting up to what we think the brethren want us to be. We're not mounting up to what we think the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be. And sometimes you just want to say, quit pushing me. Makes sense? Just like Balaam's donkey said, hey, quit pushing me. We're going to look at the story of Balaam here this evening, and when push comes to shove, I want you to consider this question. How do you know we're making the right decisions in our Christian life? How do we know that we are making the right decisions in our Christian life? Let's go ahead and look at Numbers chapter 22. Let's start in verse 1. Numbers 22, verse 1, the Bible says this. This is a bizarre story. I really like it. I really like it. We're going to read this passage and we're going to open up in a word of prayer. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balag the son of Ziphor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company look up all that are round about us, as the ox looketh up the grass of the field and Balak, the son of Ziphor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I woe that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again. As the Lord shall speak unto me and the princes of Moab, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? Look at God talking to this man, asking like he doesn't know the answer. God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said, Balaam, Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Ziphor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt with covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak, and said unto Balaam, Refuseth to come with us? Brother Brian Stats, senior, where are you at, brother? You mind praying for uh, services, senior?
Amen. Thank you. First thing I want to draw your attention to is in Numbers chapter 22. Let's look at verse 17. I want to look at the push of the world, the push, the pressure that the world puts on us. Verse 17, for I will promote thee unto very great honor. Balak is talking to Balaam, says, hey, I'll promote thee to very great honor. And I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Now, I know you guys have read the story here before, and you, you probably understand the context a little bit, but Balak is trying to get the attention of Balaam. And Balaam is, is, I'll talk about him in just a second here, but Balaam is a respected, Balaam is a respected man, and Balak wants to get this man to come down to where he is. Because Balak sees the nation of Israel, he sees how they're spread as this dust across the earth, and there's so many of them, he's up in the mountains looking down on them, and he knows his existence is going to be short-lived if some miracle from God doesn't come down and help this man, Balak. But here I want you to see what Balak uses to encourage, to entice this man Balaam. I'll promote thee unto very great honor. I'll do whatsoever, whatsoever thou sayest unto me. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak in verse 18, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less, uh, to do less or more. Pretty good, huh? Balaam's got, seems got his head, head in the right place. But isn't that interesting how the Lord uses wealth, riches, just the basic common things of this world? I mean, does it not get any better than that? I, I get so sick of this thing, man. It's just, just money. I know money makes the world go round. I know all the verses, the love of money is the root of all evil, but I, don't underst- I do understand and I don't understand how money can be so compelling when you've got something as good as the Lord Jesus Christ, when you've got something as good as this book in your hands, and that's all there is to this thing is money, watch preachers throw their churches away from money. Watch Christians throw their life away because of money, promotion, being exalted, prestige, being maybe appointed a different position that's going to require them to compromise. You don't see too many real, uh, um, I shouldn't say you don't see too many wealthy Christians, you don't see too many well-to-do Christians that are wealthy. You just don't see it. I know a couple. A couple. And I think I know a lot of people. <laughs> Promise for promotion. Balak's best offer. I'll promote thee unto very great honor. I'll do whatsoever, whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Balaam, over in 2 Peter chapter 2.16, is said to be a prophet. He's a man of great respect. Well, you know God has his prophets. The devil has his prophets. So take that with a grain of salt. But the Bible says he's a prophet. He had knowledge of God so much so that Balak said, whoever this man curses will be cursed. Whoever this man blesses will be blessed. You know, I don't know if this guy's the just fake it till you make it sort of guy. <laughs> you know, uh, you know the old saying, you may be a fool, but don't, they, don't say something to remove all doubt. Think about that one for just a second. <laughs> I don't know if this guy's just faking it till he makes it. I don't know who this, this man Balaam really truly is, but I know what he did to Israel, and I know the outfall that takes place as a result of these here couple chapters. And, and I think I'm going to let you make your, your opinion up for yourself, but Balak comes and meets just the most simple of his needs. I'll promote you to whatever position you want to be promoted to. You, you can have it, man. You're going to be part of my kingdom. Balaam says, no, sir. No, sir. Let's look at the push for pleasure. We see the push for power, the push for pleasure. And 
I said the motive's money, and I don't know if any of you guys have been sick of this or not lately, but uh, maybe somebody got the ticket out. Maybe it might be one of you guys. You probably wouldn't be sitting here if you was, but anyone win the lotto yet? <laughs> you know, I had to look up the, the, that's all I'm hearing about in this stupid workplace is the lotto, the lotto, the lotto. One point, whatever billion, we're, we're climbing, we're growing, we're gaining steam. The big lotto. I just did a quick a little, a little Google box search, and i don't correct me if you're wrong, because I would then become very suspicious of you, but the odds of winning that thing, just a quick search, I have no idea what this is. One in 300 million is the odds. Now, that might not seem like a lot, but that seems like a lot to me. Pleasure. That's where the world finds pleasure. I'm telling you, that's, that's all I'm hearing about. Any out in the world? Yes, sir. Money. Makes me sick. Second Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 2. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. There ought to come a time in your life when you're able to get your eyes on something greater than what you can fit in your back pocket. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't care how much you own, how much property you have. You got property, that's cool. Invite me over, let's shoot guns. That'd be sweet. I'd, I'd, I'd praise the Lord. Thank God you got a good job. You're able to do those things. But if this Christian life, if this life is all about that almighty buck, throw a couple bucks in before you leave, please. I just, I don't understand it. I don't. And you shouldn't either, Christian. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's look at this in verse 11. The pleasure, the pleasure of the world. What's this thing all about? 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 11, and for this cause... For what cause? Well, verse 10 says, because they received not the love of the truth, because they decided not to love Jesus Christ, because they decided not to get saved. For this cause, God shall send them, send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's pleasure in that thing, an unrighteousness. Young, did you hear me here for just a second? The world says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but... The Bible says that there is also pleasure in this world if you decide to live a life after the flesh. Right here, it's in the verse. They received not the love of the truth. They decided they didn't want to get saved. The Bible says that there's going to be pleasure for them in this life. In this life. Guess what? Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. God help them. Let's, let's head our way back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I know pastor's been going through this pretty diligently on Wednesday nights, so we're going to try to hit this real quick and move on. Romans chapter 1, we're talking about pleasure. Verse 28. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Here's your pleasure. Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, that word is unmovable, not able to be pacified, stubborn, Unmerciful, 
Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. (laughs) Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. You know, the Bible says, "My my spirit shall not always strive with man. Isn't that what God said? God gave them over. We just read in 2 Thessalonians, he gave them over to strong delusion. God gave people over to strong delusion that they might believe a lie. God would do that. You better believe it. You're looking at a world, you're looking at a world full of backslidden Christians. Many, many, many backslidden Christians out there. Gave them over to a reprobate mind. And you know what it says there, verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. You know what it takes in order to be filled? You must first be emptied. You must empty out everything you know that's holy. Everything you know that's pure. Everything you know that's clean. You must empty out of your body, out of your mind, out of your heart. And guess what? You get to fill it up with whatever you please. The verse gives you plenty of ideas. Plenty of ideas being filled with all unrighteousness. We're going to just hit a couple of these here real quick without understanding where we at here. Where are we at? Where are we at, kiddos? End of verse 30. Disobedient to parents. You guys see that one end of verse 30? Disobedient to parents. You know what that takes, kids? You know what the verse says when you become disobedient to parents? That means you've emptied yourself, like I just said. You have emptied yourself of something God naturally put in you. Emptied yourself of that thing when you decide to act out and be disobedient to your parents. Is it God's glory? No. Don't need it. God's holiness? Songs I sing in church? Sunday school? That was just a stage of life. Moving on. Moving on. Murderers. (laughs) Pleasure? Pleasure and murder. I'm sorry I'm being a little too real for you here this evening, but you want to think that there's pleasure in murder? The verse says it. There's pleasure in those things. Who knowing the judgment of God, verse 32, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them. You come sit across the coffee table for me. We just got a whole handful of Detroit EMS guys that are working for our fire department now. You want to come hear some stories. Just last shift. <laughs> ah, forgive me for saying this. I don't think it's, I don't think it's too... <laughs> Just last shift, sitting across some peanut. Man, good guy. I'd love to see him get saved. I, I think he's on his way. I think he's on his way. God's help. Running a call. Said came into a quadruple murder. Said guy, guy came in. Poof. Poof. One guy got to the back room, single, single bullet shot wounds to the center of the head. One, two, three. One was a female, I think two guys. The other guy they found behind the couch, six or seven bullet shot wounds to the chest. Still breathing. This is the type of stuff they deal with in Detroit. Around the world. You tell me that the guy that came in carrying that firearm wasn't enjoying what he was doing? What did he do it for? The Bible says there's pleasure in that sort of stuff. Just too far of a stretch for you? I hope not. It's reality. 
It's reality. This is the world we're living in. This is the world we're raising our kids in, folks. It ought to break our hearts. We ought to have a desire to grow. A desire to learn. This is what the world deems to be pleasure. You guys can go ahead and turn back to number chapter 22. But When did we forget about the pleasure that comes in serving Jesus Christ? Revelation chapter 4, you guys know the verse well. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things. God has created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God created all things, and for His pleasure they are and were created. That's pleasurable to God. To the Christian... I want to do what pleases my Father. You, you, you know what the NIV says? Let me read you the King James. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Man, how holy, how perfect, how beautiful. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Brother Billy, you were made to bring God glory. You were made to bring Him pleasure. Brother Nate, same thing. Johnny, Andrew, you guys were made to bring God pleasure. Pleasure. I can understand that. When I was in a big box church, man, I was reading my NIV, my ESV. I think those were the two I subscribed to. And I'm telling you what, I would come across the verse like this, and God would naturally put in me something saying, that's not it, boy. Get yourself a King James Bible and read it and understand it and make it yours. It wasn't, I didn't even know Pastor Reagan. I didn't know about the issue, King James Bible issue. What issue? I, I just, it's just whatever. It's what I got on. It's NIV. That's good, right? That's all I knew. For thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's hear what the NIV has to say. And, and by your will they were created and have their being. You understand, you understand the problem here. And by your will they were created and have their being. Okay, so we're just existing? As a Christian, I'm, I'm supposed to read these verses of the page, especially the book of Revelation, and be like, what do I do with this? It's not about existing. You understand why the NIVs and the ESVs and, the <laughs> and everything else is producing lukewarm Laodicean churches. Some of you have been subject to it. I, I know. I came from that. I understand it. Because they don't understand who they're living for. They don't understand. I want to bring my God, my creator. I don't want to just be and exist for him. I want to bring him pleasure. I want to bring him pleasure. You know what power and pleasure bring? They bring pain. They bring pain. When you're looking at it from the eyes of the world, power and pleasure bring pain. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I'm just going to read a few verses. You guys can stay there in Numbers 22. Romans chapter 6 and verse 21 says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are, ye are now ashamed? What fruit was there? Those things that you're now ashamed of, the end of those things is death. The end of those things is death. And yeah, they cause you to be ashamed. James chapter 1, the Bible says this in verse 13, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. 
Lust is in your flesh. In your will, when it gets in the way of God's will, will bring to the surface anything that is creeping and crawling around in the dark recesses of your flesh. Hope you're not being tempted and drawn away by what the world has to offer. The pain we bear, even as Christians, it shows. It shows in our faces. It shows in how we live. A lot can be said through a man's eyes. Numbers 22, I want to draw your attention to verse 9. The mental push. Numbers 22, let's take a look at verse 9 here. And God came to Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? Does God really even have to ask? Like, I don't I get why he does it in the verse for our, our sake. It's just like, it's kind of funny, like, Look, Adam, where, where art thou, Adam? Like, I used to walk with you in the cool... Where are you, Adam? Are you in the garden somewhere? Like, I'm looking for you. Adam! Like, you understand? God's talking to Balaam like, what men are these with thee? Like, he already knows, right? God knows what's up. God always knows. The mental push. We see here in these verses here the push to perform. We already read them. I'm not going to read them all again for the sake of time. But God comes down here, talks to Balaam, speaks to him. Uh, not face to face, but he's, he's speaking to him. He's talking to him. He's directing him. He's guiding him. He's, he's asking him. Vision, dream. That's how God used to work in the Old Testament. I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. What men are these that you're with? He goes ahead and gives a story. Well, Balak wants me to come and he wants me to come curse these guys. And uh, God, you know, I think I should probably get a hold of you and see what you want me to do. Seems a hard right guy to me. Looking for some advice from the Lord. But he's now confronted with the push to perform. He's been put on the spot. Just like many of you get put on the spot every day. With the push to act. The push to not act. The push to speak. To not speak, you are constantly being bombarded with having to make a decision in light of the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. At least I hope that's how you're thinking. What I say here could, might, well, eh, he'll forgive me, won't he? Eh, come on, guys. I don't want to live my Christian life like that. How do you handle confrontation? Whether it's face to face or whether it's the Lord in your prayer, your prayer closet. Bible says be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to write. Open up your ears. Be very slow to open up your mouth, if you even do. No answer sometimes is just fine. When you don't answer, that is your answer. The greatest battlefield in the life of the Christian is located in the mind. It's where the actions of the body and of the soul are controlled. I'm going to read a verse for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible says this. The greatest battle is in your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, the verse, that, uh, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
That's what I want to do. I want to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I don't want to just understand what I'm thinking, but why I'm thinking it. God can help you with that. Uh, You want to grow as a Christian? God can help you with that. Understanding not only what you're thinking, but why you're thinking like that. You young ladies, you couples, you are starting to date and do your things, whatever you do, you know, having fun. You need to communicate. You need to communicate with one another, boy and girl. Hey, this is how I'm feeling, and I think this is why I'm feeling this way. This is how I'm feeling right now, and I think we maybe need to be careful. You need to communicate. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's having control of what's going on around you. Like I said, swift to hear, slow to speak. It's our responsibility to keep a close watch over the gates of our eyes, the gates of our ears, our touch, our taste, our smell. We must guard these entrances in order to maintain control of our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. Proverbs 23 says, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Balaam, in our verse here in our chapter, is faced with public opinion. He seems to handle it real well until verse 15. Numbers twenty-two fifteen, And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. You understand the storyline? Balaam says, God says, no, go home. Uh, he says, verse 13, he says, get out of here. Get you into your land for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. Good decision. Verse 15, the heat gets turned up. Balak sent yet again princes more. Oh, who's coming? Donald Trump. Ha! No, it's just Joe. Who's going to be there? Ah. Well, I guess I could make an exception. But he stays strong. Truly, he stays strong through the next few verses there. But let's look at verse 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. You see that little word, if? God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, Let's look at verse 21. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. You see that little word if? You know most new Bibles, what they do is they take that word and they change it to since. Since the men came and called, thee rise up. Defeating the whole entire purpose of why God's anger is kindled in verse 22. You see? The men didn't come and call him. They said, hey, we're going to rest here tonight. We're gone in the morning. You good with that? We don't want to get eaten by the lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. We're going to split out in the morning and we're gone. Good. Go. But, hey, he got thinking. Power. Pleasure. Prestige. I'm going to go meet King of Moab. I'm going to go meet Balak. He got up rose up in the morning, he saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab. 
That's a big mistake. Balaam makes a decision there that will ultimately cause, uh, that will ultimately cost him his life. We're not going to see it in this chapter, but you read the next few chapters here in the book of Numbers 22 when you go home. I encourage you to in the morning and read the rest of this chapter in the storyline and understand all that's going on here. It's involved. It's deep, but you can process and understand it and get exactly, uh, you can understand exactly what's going on here and understand exactly why the Lord's anger is truly kindled because something's been going on behind the scenes that doesn't meet the eye at first glance. Like I said, he's looking good. Straight and narrow, doing well, doing right. But he slips. See, I want to know, know about what causes these men to slip. That's what interests me. Amen. Christians, you ought, to, you ought to learn from other people's mistakes. Amen. The mental push also incorporates the pressure of time. Lord, I got to go. These guys need to answer. They're gone in the morning. I, I got to know. I got to know now, Lord. Help me make this decision right now, Lord. Why are you rushing, Balaam? Like, really, why are you rushing? Might I ask you, Christian, why are you rushing? I just got done telling you, Balaam just makes a fatal mistake here. A lot of people get killed. A lot of people get hurt. Why are you rushing this Christian life? It ain't time to just come in and blow out, just so you can blow out. It's time to get your roots sunk deep. Get your mind settled. Get your heart steadfast on the book. And make up your mind. I'm so thankful I did. I'm so thankful I chose to follow the perfect Savior, the sinless Lamb of God. And I'm telling you, the journey's been good. The journey's been good. And you know what I haven't done? I've wanted to rush, but I, I haven't rushed. I always, I always felt, this might sound stupid to you, I always just felt like I've been just a few steps behind everybody. Like growing up, that's just like, well, here's just like a, not how to build a church sermon. I'm, I'm your pastor, Dan, and I'm, uh, I just feel like I'm a couple straws short, man. <laughs> I just always felt like I've just been a few steps behind. But then I look back and I see how God has just been keeping me safe. Ever so slowly. Ever so tenderly. And boy, I've had to get a grip on that because that's just how God works with me. I'm not saying that's how he's going to work with you. You know what a lot of people say? That doctrine there is too hard. That doctrine there at that church is going to just take too long to learn. Got time for that. Souls are dying and going to hell. I got time to sit down and learn my Bible. But you know, we know the doctrine is key. A sign of the latter days is that the doctrines will change. The Bible says they'll instead give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 2 Timothy 3 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. First and foremost application of Scripture is doctrine. So you're telling me 
that it's too hard to learn. When God said, that's the first application of my book. You need to learn the doctrine. You think he's going to make it too hard to understand? No, just apply your hind end of the seat. Come to church faithfully in six months, a year. Man, in two years, you'll be like, whoa. I've, like, I've made some progress. In six months, you'll be like, this is just cool, man. When people throw out doctrine, they don't want to hear preaching. They want teachers. You know, the ones with itching ears. We need to push ourselves to learn doctrine, and we need to hunger Bible truth. And if God gives you something new, if God gives you personally something new, you know what that is? That's just old truth that you just so happen to relearn. Nothing new in this thing, Christians. There's nothing new in this thing. There's different personalities. There's different learning abilities. There's different IQs. But there's nothing new in this book. So when God gives you something and He helps it stick, all glory goes to God. How could Balaam defect? I mean, he looks pretty good. He looks pretty good. And in the next chapter, three times he stands strong. He stands really strong. But what happens in the next chapter is Balaam goes all about with Balak and they go up on the top of these mountains and they look down the utmost part of Israel, he says, and is looking at all the people. And he says, hey, I'm going to pray. I'll see if the Lord will let me do this for you. Curse the people, right? Isn't that what Balak wants Balaam to do? He wants him to curse the people. He says, not here, Balak. Can't curse him. They go up to another mountaintop and same thing. I called you to curse the people, Balaam. Balaam gets down, he prays, and he gets a hold of God, and they offer their offerings. I think seven bulls and seven, uh, seven goats, whatever it was there, they offer those offerings. They do everything they need to do, and he prays. God says, don't do it, boy. Balak can't do it. God says no. But you know a self-righteous Balaam walks up and down those mountains, walks in and out of the people, walks up and down through the valleys. You know what he's doing? He's leaving his stench all over that place. And it's vile. And what you see come next is the doctrine of Balaam. It's a filthy doctrine. It's a sinful doctrine. It's a fleshy doctrine. It incorporates very sensual things. And even though he stood strong those three times, there was something going on in Balaam's heart before he even got called to the plate to minister, to minister. It doesn't meet the eye. And what goes on in Christianity in thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of churches, however many may be out there, what goes on today is things that are going on behind the scenes in Christians' hearts that Balak can't see, that Balaam might see, but that only God truly knows about. And there's a festering, and there's a permeating, and there's an infestation in the heart of Balaam that he refuses to get rid of because the almighty dollar was all that he was looking for. You wonder why the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, Christian, not all people get out of 
church just because they're lazy. Doctrine's too hard. Church is too hard. Those Christians expect too much out of me. They're not all getting out of church because they're lazy. They're getting out because of pressure. True pressure. Maybe it's not what they thought it was. Maybe it's more than they thought it was. And maybe, if we're not careful, we make people to feel like they can't attain to what we've got. Because we've been doing this for 16 years. And we're still here. We're still growing. We need to put in overflow chairs some weeks. And somebody walks in these doors and your stench is all over this place. Because you ain't got your heart right with God. Things are happening. People are coming. People are going. And they're like, this is too much for me. I don't belong here. When a matter of fact, they do belong here. Christian, I just want to warn you. We got to be careful with aroma we are letting out. <laughs> okay. And we need to understand that people are watching. People are listening. People are hearing when we're talking, chit-chatting and gossiping and laughing and everything. They hear everything. And God hears everything. But not all people just get out of this thing because they're lazy. They see the pressure. They see the pain. They see the, they, they see the commitment. And they're not ready to make the commitment. And a lot of you are witnessing to people that just aren't ready to make the commitment. I get it. I truly get it. But the pressure is real. And I want to ask you, do you know what it's like to stand next to a man, a grown man that's hyperventilating? (laughs) 60, 70 times a minute saying, I can't do this. This church thing, I can't do this. And the anxiety begins to rise and the pressure begins to build and it just keeps boiling and boiling and boiling. You don't know what sort of flames under their hind end causing them to cook, causing them to explode, causing them to run out these doors and be like, I can't do this. Door frames are going to burn down behind me, man. I'm just... Is God too graceful? What's causing them? What's causing them to go? I know what causes them to stay. I get that. But what causes them to go? It's the pressure. I was dealing with a man just last shift. He was that grown man. 60, 70 times a minute just watching his chest. <laughs> Laying there on the pavement right outside of his car just Dying, man. Just dying. Couldn't catch his breath. Got him in our rig. Got him to the hospital. Eyes are just glossed over. It looked like the guy just got run over by a Mack truck. Just, it's just, just, a, just a long, distant gaze. Respirations are maybe cut in half by then. Say, hey, boy, you play ball? 
yeah, 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 high, 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 high school, high school, high school, high school, high school, high school. You know Jesus Christ, man? You saved? Man. Yeah, 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 when I, when I was a kid. Got saved when I was a kid. So you know Jesus Christ can help you with this, right? Like all, I mean, he can help you with all this, man. You get it, right? Just watch the tears. It's just glossy eyes are staring up into those nasty lights they got. Just the tears just start coming running down his face. The pressure got him. The pressure got him. And if we're not careful, Christians, the pressure will get us. I don't care how long you've been doing this thing. Care how tough you think you are. We used to run more and more calls, and forgive me, women, nine times out of ten, it used to be a female having issues, anxiety, hyperventilating, passing. Nine times out of ten, when I started in my career, now fast forward 10, 12 years, it don't discriminate, man. Man, woman, young, old, people are going through it. Now, some people have true medical issues that cause these things. But sometimes, just like Balaam, the pressure got him. Numbers 22, and I'm done. Verse 22, let's read the storyline. The mental push is hard. You Christians, you've got to be tougher. You've got to be tougher. Numbers 22, verse 22, And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way, and he went into the field, and Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall. And crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went forth and stood in a narrow place. Where it was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he smote the ass with the staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there was sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his Head and fell flat on his face, and the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand you, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me, and turned from me these three times, unless she had turned from me. Surely now also I had slain thee, and saved her alive. Pretty easy story to read. Let's go to Matthew 15, and we'll be done. All you know story well, and that's probably the part of Balaam you remember the best. He had a wise donkey. 
This ain't Shrek's donkey. He had a wise donkey. You all know this story too, Matthew 15, let's read verse 21. And Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. This woman had some real trouble. And if I, if I know people, I know you folks probably got some trouble. And I ain't trying to make this anything more than it is. If you ain't got trouble pressing you in the face right now, you got trouble with the flesh. Am I wrong? This woman here had a daughter who was grievously vexed with the devil. What do you do when you got trouble? This is just a quick ABC thing. Verse 22, it says what this woman did. She cried unto him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. And then she tells him what's wrong. You ever just take the time to tell the Lord what's wrong? Just cry unto him and tell the Lord. But instead, what you do is you take that rod just like Balaam. You strike that donkey. It says, whoa, boy. It's that spirit of God welling up inside. You say, whoa, take it easy. I got this. Let's go further. You see what I'm telling you is you either get the attention of the Lord or he's going to get your attention. Balaam continues on. He says, hey, what are you doing, donkey? You're embarrassing me. Can't be having this. Flesh ever get in the way? I know flesh gets in my way. I know the spirit gets in the way too, man. That's a whole other story. God help me. God help me. Balaam says, whoa, girl. Easy. I said easy. Just when you thought you had the Lord's attention. I mean, just when you thought you had the Lord's attention. I'm in trouble. And I need him. I'm talking about the Syrophoenician woman here. And he's finally come. And I'm ready. I'm ready to come to him. I'm ready to get the help that I need. In verse 23. And Jesus. But he answered her not a word. He answered her not a word. What do you do? You strike the donkey? To keep striking the donkey? What's the woman do? What's she, what's she do there in the last part of verse 25? The Bible says, no. No, as much as I want to just tell you my peace of my mind right now, Lord, for, for mocking me, a Syrophoenician woman, I shouldn't even really be able to come to you, but I, I came to you because I thought you could help me. She worships him, saying, Lord, Help me. Now, I don't know what your sort of worship looks like, but here she says, Lord, help me. Does the Lord ever push you like that, Christian? See, that's when the bulk of Christians quit praying. Right when you get 
a chance to worship the Savior. You quit praying. And that need, that request, it never gets answered. Right when Balaam was about to get the help, right when Balaam was a, a right when Balaam was about to, to to gain a little ground here, and the donkey was trying to get a hold of him, that donkey takes a knee, falls down on his face, because Balaam Balaam didn't have no sense, man. And the Bible says over there in verse uh, uh, in chapter twenty-two, I'm sorry, he says. Balaam was forced to get down on his face when he saw the angel of the Lord. God said, I told you we were going to deal with this, Balaam. Unfortunately, we had to do this one the hard way. So what's the warning we get from Balaam in the text here? I think we need to keep short accounts with God. We need to keep short accounts with God. And I'll tell you what, if Balaam kept a short account with the Lord, he would have never been down that winding road. That little word, if... In the passage, like I mentioned to you, he would have never listened. He would have never listened to that voice. Christians, I want to tell you, we need to make every decision in light of the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. If we do that, the pressure, the pain, the pleasure, the power, all that's going to be kept in perspective when we understand that every man will give account thereof in the day of judgment, whatever he did in his body, whether it be good or bad, because I'm telling you what, at that day, the judgment seat of Christ, there will be perfect attendance. And every man will give an account of what he did in his body. There will be personal accountability, and I'm telling you, there will not only be rewards given, but there will be painful acknowledgments. And we all must stand there. So what can we learn from Balaam? Keep short accounts with God. Maybe your problems don't seem big enough yet. (laughs) If you're a kid in this room, I get it. I understand that. But anymore, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, you got problems. What sort of push is it going to take for the Lord to get your attention, Christian? You see, Balaam kept his testimony intact with men. But he did not keep his testimony intact with God. I don't want to be just updating a profile picture and a Facebook account showing men how powerful, how perfect, how good things are. I'm going to be looking at Almighty God one day in the face. He's going to look right through all that garbage, saying you're a miserable little wretch. You ruined your life. You threw it away when I was going to bless you. You decided that the power, pleasure, this world wasn't as painful as you thought it was going to be. And I'm telling you, Christian, maybe for a while it won't be. Maybe you could enjoy the pleasure for a season. But I'd ask you to observe your life in light of the Bible. You a shapeshifter like our friend Balaam here? Little show pony? Or are you living by faith like the Syrophoenician woman? Simply put, She worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And she was willing to risk it all just to get the attention of the Lord. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer this evening.